Welcome to the Worst Bestsellers, where we read about kid lawyers so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And this is the second episode of our podcast about books that you really probably shouldn't read. Mm-hmm. Our guest mm-hmm. today is librarian slash blogger Angie. Hi, all. Hi. And this time we've read a book called Theodore Boone, Kid Lawyer by John Grisham. Yes, that John Grisham, who apparently, I guess, decided. I think actually I read a quote that he literally was like, J.K. Rowling knocked me off the New York Times bestseller list before they made a list specifically for kids. So now I'm going to write a kid's book so I can knock her off of it. Like, I think literally he wrote this book, or the people who write his books for him wrote this book out of spite. <laughs> I, th- I was just going to say, I think all the best books are written out of spite. I mean, I I don't know who wrote this book, but there's a lot of spite to go around. <laughs> I could say that. Right. Okay, so um, before we get too deep into it, let's, like, our quick plot summary... Um, Theodore Boone is obviously a kid lawyer. He's a 13-year-old boy, and his parents are both lawyers. So he, like, hangs out at the courthouse, and he just, like, you know, knows everything. And he gives, like, unofficial advice to people. And for some reason, this makes him, like, super popular. (laughs) Nobody, like, not once does any of his classmates say, like, shut up, you nerd. There's, like, oh, Theo, like, tell us more about the law. Yeah, and it's not just like, oh, I watched too much Law and Order and I'm telling you cool shit. Like, someone comes to him and is like, oh, I heard my parents saying that they were going to have to file for bankruptcy. What does that mean? <laughs> and he pulls out a real estate law book yes. to talk to him oh. about, like, this kid, and it's, man. <laughs> it's worse than that, too, because he uses, he illegally uses his parents' um, access that they have to databases that adult lawyers pay and are, and are, take their oath. Um, I, I'm, hi, all. I should mention, um, my sister and my father are both judges. My sister is a lawyer. My father was in law enforcement for 20 years. My brother is a law enforcement officer, and I did not think this book was one goddamn bit cute. <laughs> So I should mention that. That's why you're so popular. (laughs) Yes, yeah. I should mention that. Um, So that's, yeah, he doesn't just pull out books. He illegally accesses databases and says shit like, yeah, your parents are in foreclosure, Tommy. Oh, my God. Like, (laughs) I looked looked in LexisNexis and your parents, your dad actually isn't your dad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. I I have to say, I want to bully this kid. Uh-huh. I think that mm-hmm. he needs mm-hmm. someone to teach him that he's not as cool as he thinks he is. And I, a 29-year-old woman, would willingly give this 13-year-old boy a wedgie and a swirly <laughs> if it would get that through his head. He's, he's, he's maybe one of the most hateful characters I've ever read. And I don't think that characters have to be likable. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, enjoy an unlikable protagonist. But this this little shitbag, he's... He is detestable. He's he's the worst. Yeah. So he and the is, the plot of the book is him solving a murder. What is the plot of the, who who can talk about what the plot is? I don't even know what. 
I, I think uh, Renata summed it up pretty well here in uh, the plot summary that we talked about in advance, which is a 13-year-old boy uses his knowledge of the legal system to make him inexplicably popular <laughs> with his peers and uses his unchecked white privilege to gain game-changing evidence about a local murder trial. I, The trial was so mis... Like... <sighs> oh, like, basically, not- so th- there's a trial... This guy in the rich part of town is on trial for murdering his wife. By the way, the trial is, like, straight-up Gone Girl. (laughs) It's, like, Gone Girl, but solved by a 13-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm I'm upset with both of you for not mentioning the huge part that fucking golf plays in this book. Yeah. Golf. Yeah. (laughs) It's because golf golf is is, like, really important to the murder, but then it's also this little dickbag's favorite hobby. Wait, right? so. sidebar, do we think that John Grisham played, like, a bunch of golf games and then As, wrote them off on his yeah. text? Like, oh, it was research. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And kid lawyer. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought, I thought at first they were going to use the golf game as the murder plot. You know, but of course, of course Theo has to be into it because what wouldn't the world's most super smug, annoying 13-year-old be into other than golf, right? As a hobby. So right, accurate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe, maybe if he was taking, like, pilot lessons. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that follows in the subsequent books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it also, the other hilarious part, too, is that it it not only gives them a plot twist for the the murder, it really lets them build on the class racism in this book, which is mm-hmm. inescapable. So it's, it's a great way that John Grisham is unknowingly revealing this intense racism. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's actually, because hopefully most of the people listening to this have not read this book. Yeah. So Theo and his class go on a field trip to watch this murder trial. And I guess the town there is so small, like, there's nothing else going on. Everyone's just really into this murder trial or whatever. Um, but meanwhile, every week, Theo and his family go volunteer at, like, a soup kitchen. <laughs> and he tutors, like, refugees or what? He tutors... Uh- he tutors, he tutors illegals. Oh, yeah. He, yeah so they're they not saying that. They're not saying, he's not saying that, but he tutors, they tutor illegals. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so he does that, and then it turns out that the, the cousin of one of the undocumented kids that he tutors is, works at a golf course, and thus has game-changing evidence about this murder trial but he's too afraid to say it because he's afraid he'll get deported. But because Theo's like the best kid ever and everyone loves him so much, he persuades this kid. Oh, and also he persuades somebody to adopt the kid. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Is that yes. possibly correct? Yes. Oh, he, he persuades <laughs> the magically through the magic of, you know, books for kids, I guess. Um, he gets the kid to testify because this guy who like literally everyone knew was guilty was going to walk because there was no evidence. He gets the kid to testify by saying that his parents will sponsor the aunt and the kids that Theo tutors um, to get their green cards and that the aunt will adopt, I think, the kid, right? The the yep. witness. 
and so that everyone will be legal and they won't have to worry about being deported anymore. Thank God there were rich white people to step in and save the day. Yeah, and also, let me let me just say, because when I run for president, this will come up. I I would never refer to a human being as an illegal. Um, I, I was using that terminology because that is the way the book refers. It, it, it considers the undocumented human beings in this book as as less than servants for Theo and his family and they're convenient and have the only reason they have to Theo and his family have to be motivated uh, to have them stay in this country is when they can use them to show off uh, their brilliance so that's I personally would never but that is how hateful this book is Mm -hmm. and and that's how it treats the undocumented human fucking beings in this book. So, right, because so. Theo and his parents work with that family every week. Like, they know the situation is mm-hmm. dire. They just don't care until murder. Until <laughs> they can use it to show off. Yeah, right. Until they can use it to to show off about how smart they are, I guess. I So, um, well, and also, can I also, we're going to say, I love, too, that this book ends with no resolution. Yes. Right. So if you if you are the kind of reader who likes to have your stories, I don't know, um, end mm-hmm. or have any kind of wrap up, well, sad news. Uh, you're you're not going to get any of that here because it ends with a mistrial, and then they're like, well, okay. <laughs> right. Not only that, but also there had been this sort of like looming menace of a guy who was like kind of stalking Theo and like we no we don't know who he is like we assume I think that he works for the murder suspect <laughs> slash murderer but I don't think like, we really know and he doesn't really do anything except be vaguely sinister and his and I, name is he's a racial stereotype too right oh god yeah what is his name his name's Chibi. Chip, chip, or something, right? C H E E P E. Let me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Let me. I'm looking in my book right now. Chip. His name's uh, ethnic slur. Right. <laughs> okay. While we look into that, let's also talk about how weird the gender roles are in this book. Mm-hmm. Oh my mm-hmm. god. This, Kate, it's a mess. Kate started reading this book before me and she just tweeted like something like, can't believe how weird the gender roles are in this book. Literally and then, on page one. <laughs> yeah, yep. and then I started reading it was like, you were not joking around at all. The first page, like the third sentence of the book is literally something along the lines of, Theo's mother doesn't eat breakfast because she's been trying to u- lose 10 pounds 10 for pounds 10 years. 10 pounds for 10 years. So she just drinks a cup of coffee and does the crossword Mm -hmm. Theo's mom even though she's a successful lawyer is apparently the only one who is expected to do any of the domestic chores in the house there's a point where he talks about how because she doesn't like to make dinner they eat out every night Mm -hmm. Uh, because I guess he and his dad couldn't chip in for that or anything but you know there's like weird stuff where at the very beginning when he's meeting his female best friend he talks about how oh you know he wasn't interested in her like that because they're only 13 year olds and no 13 year olds are interested in romance no one in their entire school in the eighth grade is interested in girlfriends or boyfriends right and then almost immediately after that he talks about his raging crush on jenny the court clerk 
And let me pull up this line because it's so weird. Um, he would marry Jenny tomorrow if he could, but his age and her husband complicated things. Plus, she was pregnant, and this bothered Theo, though he mentioned it to no one. What the fuck, Theo? Yeah. yeah he, well, and he says right <laughs> at that first part, he doesn't know anybody in his class who would even confess to liking a girl. And that, at that point, you're like, are they seven? Like, right. Because that's the way, like, the, like, maybe third or fourth graders would talk. But 13-year-olds are like, Facebook tits, boobs, do it. Like, and and a lot of it reads that way. And I, to me, I, I thought it was clear that whoever wrote this book for John Grisham, I hope for John Grisham's soul it was not him. Whoever wrote it for him was trying to kind of harken back to the Encyclopedia Brown books. Uh-huh, yeah. Except... The Encyclopedia Brown books make this shit look like the most, like, they're a hundred times more progressive than that. Yeah, like, right. Encyclopedia Brown loves Sally, and she beats people up for him, and she does not need to be rescued by him, and he is clearly drawn to her. But that's, to me, it was trying to be like, oh, these innocent days of yore. You know, the audiobook is narrated by John Boy. Uh, oh, boy. The narrator for all of these Theodore Boone books is Richard Thomas. Uh, and it reads them like there's from an episode of the Waltons, wow. you know, like, um, I listened to, I listened to almost an hour of the first one. <laughs> do not do that. Yeah. Don't <laughs> do that. Yeah. Do not. And I think that's, he's trying to make it really cutesy. And then in the middle of it is all this race and gender and class and, and all this contemporary stuff that just is so discordant. Like, I, it's so a, weird. It is. There's. There's a weird thing, and another, I'm, I'm still harping on this gender thing, because it was uh -huh. so weird to me. Like, I expected the book to be super racist once I read the summary online, but, like, the gender stuff was so all over the place. The The school is gender separated, and I'm going to mm -hmm. read another direct quote. Thank According you. to a new policy adopted by the smart people in charge of educating all the children in town. I can't tell if that's supposed to be sarcastic or not, but I feel like it's not. I feel like that is a line that is supposed to be taken literally for some reason beyond my imagining about the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard. I right. honestly think it was an excuse for them to write only about boys because they were afraid to write about girls. So here they had an excuse to only have boys in the class. But then there are, because, I mean, okay, yeah, there's his female best friend, April, who it's not a romance, but it kind of is, but it's not. But then also there's, like, multiple parts where um, he talks about, like, oh, in the hallways between classes they flirt because that's the only time they can see each other, even though he, like, just said they're not interested in girls yet. And then there's the part where, um, and maybe we'll get into this a little more later, but, like, the prettiest girl in school's dog gets taken to animal court. So, obvi <laughs> <laughs> obviously, Theo Boone, kid's lawyer, is on the case. And then, like, you know, he talks about how great it is to have her, like, wanting his help. It's, like, disgusting. But at the same time, like, you get the impression that it's not even because he has a crush on her, but because he recognizes that she has power in the social structure of the mm -hmm. school and he wants her to be indebted to him. You're correct. That's totally how it's phrased. Like, he doesn't even recognize that she's pretty, I think, until they're sitting next to each other in animal court and yeah. he's like, oh, you know, I guess I can see why everyone thinks she's so cute now. 
it's really gross. It's really gross. Yeah. And I, the other thing too, is I, 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 that line got me too, of course, because I'm a human and (laughs) it of course reads like no words any human would ever say. But I also thought I really did. I thought that he was being serious, you know, and I, I thought that that was really John Grisham saying, isn't this fucking great? Don't you wish that um, boys could go to school without those little whores distracting them? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really do think that. I don't think that he was being sarcastic. I thought it read in text like it was great because Theo is very happy with his education and mm-hmm. he talks about what he learns in classes. So when I read that, I did think it was John Grisham saying, if this country had any goddamn sense, public schools would be sex segregated because girls distract boys with their ankles and that is a scientific fact and and I you know and I I think that it also is like everything else in this twilight zone of a town no public school is going to be organized like that jackhole like it's it's not going to happen so but I I and and I think that was the running thread throughout all this I never felt a sense of authorial separation every part of this felt like it was some shit that John Grisham was telling me Angie Manfredi to my face Angie Man Freddy, I think. I've never read any of his grown-up books. They're not like this. Okay. They're not like this. Well, I I read the first ones. And I (coughs) one of the reviews I read online one of the reviews I read online talked about um when they were a teenager, they read his adult books and that they think teenagers should just read his adult books. And Mm -hmm. I concur. Uh I those I would say maybe his first ten books are just great, like, trashy, potato chip, airport, crackerjack legal thrillers, which was the other thing that confused me about this. Nothing happens in this book. Nothing happens. Everything that happens, they tell you what happens. And I didn't, his, I haven't read his 25, and you know, now he writes Nicholas Sparks' Glurg. Mm-hmm. I haven't read any of that. But his other books were not at all like this. And also, do you guys think he thinks this is a young adult book? Because this is not a young adult book. Do you think he thinks it's a YA book? I don't. I don't we have it so. in children. Yeah. So um, do we. I saw yep. it as a middle grade. I, mean, I agree. Was, but God knows. But he also th- Noble. It was marketed as a middle grade book. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't. I mean, that's what his publishers did. Good for them. But yeah, he might think that like yeah, this is what thirteen year olds are like, and this is what they want to. Do yeah. we have children? I don't know. I hope not. I think so, but I think they're like. Our age. No, <laughs> I mean, I don't think he has young children. Okay, so it's like, it's been yeah. a while. Yeah. You know that he wrote, uh, he wrote what they, the book that they turned into Christmas with the Cranks. Yeah, I did know that. Skipping Christmas, yeah. So, and I, um, that, that was the thing I thought of too when I was reading it because we as professionals obviously know it is middle grade, obviously. But I think that he really does think, or whoever thinks when they're writing it, man, you are nailing this young adult genre. You are on fire. Like, I think that he believes this is how teenagers are and that this is a YA book. That he's writing like the the previous comedies, writing like J.K. Rowling, John Green, mm-hmm. you know, which is horrific. Guys, okay, what about a crossover where Theodore Boone represents Hazel Grace in court when she sues (laughs) Peter Van Houten for breach of contract? (laughs) I would read that. (laughs) And he'd be like, he'd be like, Hazel Grace, can you just cheer up a little? And she'd be like, I mean, I'm dying from cancer. And he'd be like, I mean, 
but we all have positives in our life and i got i got you a puppy like i rescued it from animal court for you <laughs> right animal court because he has no and that's honestly like even the murder thing like you know oh, somebody's dead like he doesn't he has no sense of real world impact i'm dying from cancer gosh willikers hazel i got you some milk <laughs> oh, we don't have milk because uh, my mom doesn't buy groceries. <laughs> but um, I had Jenny get you some milk. Oh, how about how about how his dad smokes a pipe? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! His dad's a fatty who smokes a pipe. I don't. And he he repeatedly talks over it, which is the other thing too. A huge insult in this book to anybody who's not from a two parent two-parent heterosexual home mm. he talks over and over again about how glad he is that he has these two boring parents and they just sit around they watch fucking perry mason oh my god they watch perry mason on what on dvd on on a reel to reel eight track like uh and and he he judges the other kids the kid who comes to him for help about his brother being a drug court yes um, and his friend who has the hippie parents, everybody in this who is not in a mother, father, mother, d- d- um, sub- submissive role is less than like human to the earth. Oh, like remember, um, his best friend, April, I forgot about this. Her parents are getting divorced and she wants to live with neither of them because they're both terrible parents. And Theo's like, yeah, you're right. They are yeah. Yeah. terrible. It sounds like, like the father is an absent father. From what I remember, it's like the father is possibly an alcoholic and definitely an absent father and just not maybe abusive or something. And the mom just seems like she's really stressed out and high strung and upset, probably because she's in this shitty marriage. Mm -hmm. But despite that, he's like, oh, well, you know, your mom is really not a really good mom. She doesn't do good mom things. So I can understand you not wanting to live with her either. And well, see. you know, I investigated these other books, and in the next one, she gets kidnapped. What? Yeah, so the next book in the series is called Theodore Boone, The Abduction. They all have A titles. Uh, so in the next book, she gets abducted, and he has to solve her kidnapping. Shut up. That's the plot wow. of the next one. And I- the murder the murder trial continues. Mm. So I think in the third or maybe the newest one... Um, because it's called the second one's the abduct the abduction the third one's the accused and the 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 newest one the fourth one is called the activist and i i want to read that one just because i think there's going to be some anti-environmentalist propaganda in it i read Um, i read an ad for that one i was like ooh, this sounds like i'm mad about it already (laughs) yeah so and so i i i think in the second one not only is he going to solve her kidnapping but you know, it's it's going to be something with her parents let drug hippies steal her or something. But and I and I think from the description I read of it, he's the only one that figures out she was abducted. Oh, Jesus. Uh, because of course he does. So it's um, and then I think the accused has more of the trial, has the retrial of the guy. So it's See, abducted, accused, activist. Here's the other thing too, though, with him like acting like you know he's so smart and he's the only one who can figure these things out i middle grade is my genre or my age group that's the age range that i like to read and write for and i understand that there are adults who don't seem to get that kids are put in in improbable situations that they have to that they solve themselves without going to adults for help 
But that's kind of the point of things is to give kids autonomy and let kids read about other kids having autonomy. And at the last minute in this one, he goes to the grownups. Mm-hmm. And I just could not, like, he spends the whole book being like, I'm not going to involve the adults. I'm not going to involve the adults. And then he involves the adults and everything wraps up in, like, ten pages. And I don't know that I understand where that came from. Well, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of the whole problem with this kid layer concept is they're, like, very clear that, you know, he can't actually go to court. He's not actually a barred lawyer, like, whatever. But, like, and I guess I get the impulse, like, murder's cool. But it it maybe would be a more satisfying series if it was, like, just him doing, like, animal court shit. And then he wouldn't have... No, even as I say that, that's a dumb. I don't want to read that book. <laughs> I don't want to read any of these books. So. Well, <laughs> to some degree, I I liked that because... I thought it was going to keep being bullshit. I thought he was, I'm not kidding you guys. I thought he was going to stand up in the middle of court and wave the bloody gloves around his head and start screaming Johnny Cochran shit. (laughs) And then then everybody was going to slow clap. I I guess I kind of expected him to, I I guess I kind of expected the ending to be him talking the kid, the witness into going to the police and explaining what he knows and which is a different kind of involving the adults, but less so than him literally going to his parents with 20 pages left in the book and saying, oh, so here's all this stuff that I know, help. And then they help like largely off screen in the narrative. Mm-hmm. And then it's the end of the book. Like, I feel like if you're going to go middle grade and, and I agree that, you know, lawyer isn't the same as detective you can't do lawyer shit the way that you can be encyclopedia brown or nancy drew and solve crimes Mm -hmm. but i it really seemed to come out of left field for a kid's book for the ending to be oh and then the grown-up saved the day Mm -hmm. i mean i guess i was just happy that uh we didn't have to hear more of him getting slow clapped (laughs) i'll take I'll take anything that doesn't continue to venerate uh, Theo Boone. Like, if, if, a, if a fucking talking dog came in and solved it, I'd be like, you are my hero, talking dog. You're, you are the hero of my life. I want you to know, I would say to that dog. Because I, I want only terrible things to happen to him. So, <laughs> I, want, I want him to be humiliated. So Yeah. Theo Boone 5, Theo gets humiliated by a, a bunch of adult librarians. Yeah. <laughs> Theo Boone 5, the humiliated. <laughs> like, I don't, you know. The, the ambushed. The ashamed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, I, I also, too, like, I, I, I don't know, I don't know who the people in this town are. Like, I never got a good sense. And I think that harkens back to the good old days, quote unquote, thing. Like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know, like, I don't know what they want. <laughs> I I didn't feel it. So, like, when I was a kid, when I was, like, a teenager, one of my favorite shows was Picket Fences, which was this David E. Kelly show about a bunch of this really small town in Wisconsin where weird things always happened. And I loved it. And I, and I loved it, I think, because I weird un- unbelievable literally you guys should wikipedia it if you're not familiar I'm not. literally literally unbelievable things happened every week in this show like there was a stuff like worse than that there was an episode of like a guy who robbed 
Banks dressed up as a uh, a frog and there was a lot of sexual fetish stuff because it was a David E. Kelly show of course um, and David E. Kelly one of his dreams in life was to cross it over with the X-Files and uh, they wouldn't let him do it because it was on different episodes it was on different networks oh. but I one of the reasons I let all of that go was because I felt like I understood this town similar to like Northern Exposure the other show I loved as a, as a teenager Weird things could happen in this town because I, or things that would not happen in, in real towns or New York City or Oklahoma City even, because those were real places. And Theodore Boone can't get away with that because it doesn't create that setting. Yeah, no, that's a good point because I would, I would buy, you know, like he, they either needed to establish that this was the sort of place where things can happen that are maybe not super realistic and come up with some sort of establishment in the text for that. Maybe they should have just set this book in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Like straight up instead of pseudo 50s. You know, instead it kind of tries to straddle this line where it's like, this is a place where a kid can be like a fake lawyer and help the legal system but then at the end because there's no real establishment of that it kind of has to go back to the hyper-realistic oh well we have to tell the parents because that's the only way that because it's not you know this it's not like on law and order it's not like on television you know this is real life where what just happened is exactly what happens on television and is foreshadowed in the first Mm -hmm. paragraph Mm -hmm. of the book Mm -hmm. And it's like the well, worst of both worlds. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, to me, it, it really reminded me of Pick Offenses because they, it, it had that same thing. And that's when I realized that's what was not making the connection for me. Like, I could buy David E. Kelly shit. I loved it. I, I loved Allie McBeal when I was a teenager. Like, I could buy any of that magic realism stuff he had going on because they had established setting. And they had established the town. And so weird things happen here. And not just aliens land. Like, weird things happen here. Okay. Because I'm experiencing it as metaphor. And this book is so dull. <laughs> and, I, and I don't just mean dull like nothing happens. I mean dull like the literal definition of dumb. Dumb. Dullard. <laughs> this book is so dull that it doesn't have the imagination or the, the, the guts to do that. Plus, like, it it tries so hard, especially at the beginning when he's talking to all the kids in his class about what the trial is going to be like, where it's very, oh, well, things like this, exciting things don't happen in real life. They just happen on television. You know, in real life, it's very boring and there's a lot of procedure and, you know, it's not, like, dramatic and exciting. And then that he tries to make it so realistic that that's what the book is it's not exciting it's not dramatic mm-hmm. it's like literally watching a trial which mm-hmm. yeah. is not going to be super exciting to your average 8 to 12 year old well and um i i would also say you know, at that part where he's telling him, don't ask why it's a bar, dummy dums. Um, at that part, too, he he gives a terrible and fake statistic. I'm looking for it right now. He gives a terrible and fake statistic where he says a thing like, um, most people are guilty. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, uh, that 80% of them, you know, um, yes. So he's trying to explain how a jury works. On mine, it's on, I'm at uh, page 21. Um, and they say to him, um, 
Each year, the Bar Association publishes a directory of all the lawyers and judges. That's where he got the pictures. Are you included? No. He's the most literal-minded kid, and he, you know, he talks about the kids who are, by the way, 13 years old, have to ask questions like, who goes first? So they've never seen a movie with a court room scene in it. They've never seen a, a TV show with a courtroom scene in it. They're 13 years old and Theo Boone has to explain to them what a defense attorney is. Um, and on top of that, he says at what you were just saying about, you know, the the who does it, you know, who it's not like on TV. He also says a thing about 80 um, percent plead and this is all fake statistics about the criminal justice system. I. <laughs> Uh, uh, it, it yeah yeah uh, maybe this is a good point to uh to move into our actual dramatic reading so you can <laughs> okay. really get a full sense of what this little shit mm-hmm. theo boone is like and mm-hmm. i'm actually gonna start with part of the section that angie was just reading from so that you can hear how incredibly dull and pedantic this boy is and yet somehow is super popular and his teacher, by the way, the part that she is about to read from, his teacher fucking asks him to do this. This is the other suspension of disbelief that every child in the world is going to say, are you kidding me? His teacher asks him to, begs him, Jesus Christ, Theo, please, to give this, <laughs> to give this lecture to his peers. Although I, I admit, I did kind of secretly, like, I, it is weird how the narrative, like, randomly shifts for no reason. But I did kind of like the motive that the teacher was just like, I love having Dean in my class because he does all my work for me. Yes, that is totally my headcanon for Mr. Mount, is that he's just like every day like, oh, Theo, you know so much. Uh, Why don't you show off to all the other kids while I sit here at my desk and pay super attention while I do my crossword puzzle? Like, I I can get behind Mr. Mount. If you have a kid like Theo in your class, you got to go to extreme measures. I'm so I'm so interested in youth, Theo. I just have to look at my phone uh, to play this Candy Crush game. But I am so enlightened now. All right. So I'm going to read a little bit about Theo in his teacher, Mr. (laughs) Mount's class talking to the other kids in school about the trial that they're going to take a special field trip to go watch. This is called the bar. Uh, The laser pointer moved to the middle of the diagram. Again, don't ask why. The bar is a wooden railing that separates the spectators from the trial area. There are ten rows of seats with an aisle down the middle. This is usually more than enough for the crowd, but this trial will be different. The laser pointer moved to the rear of the courtroom. Up here, above the last few rows, is the balcony, where there are three long benches. We're in the balcony, but don't worry. We'll be able to see and hear everything. Any questions? Mr. Mount asked. The boys gawked at the diagram. Who goes first? Someone asked. Theo began pacing. Well, the state has the burden of proving guilt, so it must present its case first. First thing tomorrow morning, the prosecutor will walk to the jury box and address the jurors. This is called the opening statement. He'll lay out his case. Then the defense lawyer will do the same. After that, the state will start calling witnesses. As you know, Mr. Duffy is presumed to be innocent, so the state must prove him guilty, and it must do so beyond a reasonable doubt. He claims he's innocent, which actually in real life doesn't happen very often. About 80% of those indicted for murder eventually plead guilty because they are, in fact, guilty. 
oh my god 20 <laughs> percent go to trial and 90 percent of those are found guilty so it's rare for a murder defendant to be found not guilty uh my dad thinks he's guilty brian said a lot of people do theo said how many trials have you watched theo i don't know dozens <laughs> since none of the other 15 had ever seen the inside of a courtroom this was almost beyond belief <laughs> Theo continued. for those of you who watch a lot of television don't expect fireworks a real trial is very different and not nearly as exciting there are no surprise witnesses no dramatic confessions no fist fights between the lawyers and in this trial there are no eyewitnesses to the murder this means that all the evidence from the state will be circumstantial You'll hear that word a lot, especially for Mr. Clifford Nance, the defense lawyer. He'll make a big deal out of the fact that the state has no direct proof that everything is circumstantial. I'm not sure what that means, someone said. <laughs> it means the evidence is indirect, not direct. For example, did you ride your bike to school? Yes. And did you chain it to the rack by the flagpole? Yes. So when you leave school this afternoon and you go to the rack and your bike is gone and the chain has been cut, then you will have indirect evidence that someone stole your bike. <laughs> no one saw the thief, so there's no direct evidence. And let's say that tomorrow the police find your bike in a pawn shop on Raleigh Street, a place known to deal in stolen bikes. The owner gives the police a name, they investigate and find some dude with a history of stealing bikes. You can make a strong case through indirect evidence that this guy is your thief. No direct evidence but circumstantial. Even Mr. Mount was nodding along. He was the faculty advisor for the eighth grade debate team, and, not surprising, Theodore Boone was his star. He'd never had a student as quick on his feet. Thank you, Theo, Mr. Mount said, and thank you for getting us seats in the morning. Nothing to it, Theo said, and proudly took his seat. This is my favorite part. It was a bright class in a strong public school. Justin was by far the best athlete, though he couldn't swim as fast as Brian. Ricardo beat them all at golf and tennis. Edward played the cello, Woody the electric guitar, Darren the drums, Jarvis the trumpet. Joey had the highest IQ and made perfect grades. Chase was the mad scientist who was always a threat to blow up the lab. Aaron spoke Spanish from his mother's side, German from his father's, and English, of course. Brandon had an early morning paper route, traded stocks online, and planned to be the first millionaire in the group. Naturally, there were two hopeless nerds and at least one potential felon. By the way, the he, class... does, he does not consider Theo to be the hopeless nerd. <laughs> because then he adds, the class even had its own lawyer, a first for Mr. Mount. The, it, it shifts POV to Mr. Mount, where he like profiles all the freaking 13-year-olds yeah. in his class. It's amazing. Well, and I think I, the part that really got me about that, that's really early in the narrative. Um, and I think if you were a kid reader, you would be fucking confused by that. Um, which which is I, I, another thing that I think is worth noting about this book. I don't know any, I hate, I, I hate when people say this because you don't know every child. So I don't ever want to hear a person say no teenager, no kid would. So I'm going to say it right now. No child on the planet would be interested in this book. Hang on, though. Last month, um, I was, like, book-talking to a bunch of 7th graders, and afterward, like, I like to be like, oh, well, like, that's what books I recommend to you. What books do you recommend to me? And one kid raised his hand and said, Theo Boone, kid lawyer. And I was like, 
holy shit, is, like, does this kid read my Twitter? Like, is this kid <laughs> trolling me? But no, like, one child in my community at least read and enjoyed this book, apparently. Yeah. We we bought them at my library. We bought them only because an adult patron requested them. I would never have purchased them. And I don't, they don't circulate well. Um, you know, and the, oh, I think uh, they only circulate to adults. I, you know, and that's why we bought them. An adult mm-hmm. female, a female adult patron put in a patron request for them. And, uh, you know, maybe she wanted her kids to read them or maybe she's just a really big John Grisham fan. But um, they're, and to me, they're similar. And I hope you guys put this on for later. The Lauren Conrad books, uh, those, those were only re- purchased at the request of adult patrons. Those are definitely on our long to-do list. Yes, yeah, yeah. They're not immediately scheduled, but don't... We'll get to you, Elsie. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, okay, let's move on to um, Theo's appearance in Animal Court. (laughs) Animal Court! Which, by the way, okay, maybe, Angie, since since you're almost as cool as Theo Boone with your, you know, with your dad (laughs) as a judge, is Animal Court a fucking thing? I, I, no. I mean... (laughs) I don't. I don't think that's true. I um, and sir, let me let me. I'm uh, not the way it's described in the book. Okay, like you don't like yeah. bring your dog to appear no, the judge. <laughs> no, or your snake, unless you were on the television show Sherlock. I know. I that, you know that's it does, no. Uh, okay, well, um, in wherever Theo lives, you do right. Of course, you do. And uh, Angie and I are going to do a dramatic reading of um. Of this appearance, and Angie will play the role of Theo, and I will play Judge Yek. In case you you forgot, Theo is appearing in um, Animal Court on behalf of the dog of Hallie, who's like the cutest girl in school, and so Theo wants to have uh, social capital over her, and that's why he volunteers to help in Animal Court. The judge looked at some paperwork, then glanced up at Theo and Hallie. There was no one else in the courtroom. Well, hello, Mr. Boone, he said. Good afternoon, Judge, Theo said. You have business before the court? Yes, sir. I need to retrieve a dog. (laughs) The judge picked up a sheet of paper, his docket. Rocky? he asked. Yes, sir. Very well. You may come forward. Theo and Hallie walked through the small swinging gate to the only table. Theo showed her where to sit. He remained standing, just like a real lawyer. (laughs) Proceed, Judge Yek said, obviously enjoying the moment and realizing that young Theo Boone was working hard to impress his very cute client. Gross, Judge. Yeah, yeah. The judge smiled as he remembered Theo's first appearance in his courtroom. He had been one frightened boy as he frantically worked to rescue a runaway mutt, one that he took home and named Judge. Well, Your Honor, Theo began properly. Rocky is a miniature schnauzer registered to Mr. Walter Kershaw, who is out of town on business. His wife, Dr. Phyllis Kershaw, is a pediatrician and could not be here. My client is their daughter, Hallie, who is in the eighth grade with me at the middle school. Theo sort of waved at Hallie, who was terrified, but confident that Theo knew what he was doing. Judge Yuck smiled down at Hallie. Then he said, I see this is the second offense. Yes, sir, Theo said. The first offense was four months ago, and Mr. Kershaw handled matters at the pound. And Rocky is in custody? Yes, sir. You can't deny the fact that he was loose, can you? 
No, sir. But I asked the court to waive both the fine and the boarding fee. On what grounds? Sir, the owners took all reasonable steps to prevent their dog from getting out. As always, Rocky was left in a secure place. The house was locked. The alarm was on. The gates to the backyard fencing were closed. They did everything possible to prevent this. Rocky has quite a temper and often becomes irritated when he's left alone. He likes to run away when he gets out. The owners know this. They were not being careless. The judge removed his reading glasses and chewed on a stem as he pondered this. Is this true, Hallie? He asked. Oh, yes, sir. We were very concerned about Rocky getting out. Ah! <laughs> That's how I imagine that all females in John Grisham's universe sounds. Yeah. Um, I'm just a girl. Ah! The John Grisham story. <laughs> uh, but luckily, a man is there to intervene. This is a very clever dog, Your Honor. Uh, and then at this point, Theo probably thinks that the dog is smarter than the girl. Uh, mm. He somehow broke through a pet door in the laundry and escaped to the backyard where he dug a hole under the fence. Suppose he does it again. The owners intend to beef up security, sir. Very well. I'll waive the fine and fee. But if Rocky gets caught again, I'll double all fines and fees. Understand? Oh, yes, Your Honor. Case dismissed. As, okay, I, I want to read this put, too, because it's so gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As they were walking down the hallway on the first floor, headed for the main entrance, Hallie slid her hand around Theo's left elbow. Arm in arm, he instinctively slowed down a little. What a moment. You're a great lawyer, Theo, she said. Not really, baby. Not yet. <laughs> Why don't you call me sometime, she asked. Why? Now that was a good question. Probably because he assumed she was too busy talking to all the other boys. <laughs> she changed boyfriends every other month. Whore! Whore! <laughs> Stop slut-shaming April. <laughs> I mean, Hallie. All of them. They're all sluts. <laughs> I'll do that, he said, but he knew he wouldn't. He wasn't exactly looking for a girlfriend. And besides, April would be devastated. April would be devastated if he began chasing a flirt whore. Flirt. Sorry, flirt. I said whore, but I was thinking flirt. Uh, like Hallie. Girls, murder trials, secret witnesses. Life was suddenly very complicated. I like, okay, I like that you slipped into Matthew McConaughey here at the end. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. I think that's a good character choice. Yeah. I like that Theo agrees with the judge that fines and fees will be doubled on behalf of someone else yeah. who will have to pay them. She's a doctor. Did you not hear how she's a doctor? They have yeah, money, and, okay? And I love how moms can be doctors and lawyers, but only for, like, womanly things, like yeah. domestic violence and pediatrics. And and there's always a woman crying in his mother's office, right? Always. So she only... This is a true thing, by the way, listeners, that Theo says about his mother. She only represents the women in divorce cases. That's a real thing. Yeah. True story. All right. And we have one more dramatic reading that we're going to do. Which I would like 14. to, like, I said that I would do it, but actually, I, if it's okay, I would like for Angie to do my part, but with the voice of Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I, that seems really fitting for this reading. Do you guys agree? So yeah, I'm going go to be Theo Moon as Matthew McConaughey. Is that correct? Oh, no. I want you to be the secretary be, as Matthew okay, McConaughey. Okay. And, I can, and Kate will be Theo. Yes. And this, the secretary is about 
listeners, the secretary is about to ask Theo for fucking help with a drunk driving case. Spoilers. <laughs> okay. Which I hope is resolved in the next five books. I hope it never ends. Um, <laughs> Theo, she almost whispered. My brother was stopped last night for driving under the influence. They, they took him to jail, man. She rolled her eyes to make sure they were alone. I'm sorry, Theo said. He knew where this was going. He's not a drunk. He, he's a grown man with a wife and kids and a good job. He's never even been in trouble and we, we don't know what to do. What was his BAC? What? His blood alcohol content. Oh, that does, does .09 sound right? Yes. The limit is .08, so he's in trouble. First offense... Well, heavens yes, the, I mean, he's not a drunk. He barely had two glasses of wine. Two drinks. Always <laughs> two drinks. Regardless of how drunk or how sloppy or how belligerent, they've never had more than two drinks. The policeman said he could get ten days in jail, she went on. This is so embarrassing. Which cop? Theo asked. How, how am I supposed to know that? Some of the cops like to scare people. Your brother will not get 10 days. He'll pay a fine of $600, lose his license for six months, go to driving school in a year from now. His record can be expunged. Did he spend the entire night in jail? Yes, I, I can't imagine. Then there's no more jail time. Write down his name. She was already holding a pen. Taylor Baskin, Theo said. He's the lawyer who handles all the drunks. He's not a drunk! She said a bit too loud. Both looked around to see if anyone was listening. No one was. Sorry. Taylor Paskin is the drunk driving lawyer. Your brother needs to call him. Miss Gloria was scribbling away. I need to go to class, Theo said. Thank you, Theo. Um, uh, please don't tell anyone. No problem. Can I go now? Oh, yes, please. And, and, and thanks, Theo. He scampered out of the office, leaving behind another satisfied client. But that, by the way, that's literally the end of the page. That is the last, or the book. That is the last <laughs> sentence of the book. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Scampered. He fucking scampered like he's Bambi. Scampered. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey, too, is because we had a running joke that I think the only thing that can approve these books is if Matthew McConaughey narrated them in award speech-giving mode. I just... Uh, I don't understand about your laws, but I know that when you begin in the end of your heart, then your soul shows through. Am I right, Theo? <laughs> and I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's move on to uh, a round of Would You Rather. Mm -hmm. um, would you rather have to teach a class with Theo as a student or rely upon Theo as your legal counsel? Well, I hold with my previous assertion that Mr. Mount <laughs> is the best character in the book because he understands the use of a, a person like Leo to do all the work for you. So uh, I'm going to go with I would rather teach a class with Leo as a student, insufferable as he may be. Uh I, I would rather have him defend me uh, because he could, I'm only, I am a woman, and so I have ovaries, and I'm very slow, so he could explain things to me like guilty mm -hmm. and like like lawyer, and I think that would be really helpful, um, 
you know, with my woman parts. I love 13 year old boys who think they're smarter than adult women. It just, it, it really is helpful to me. So yeah, I would have to vote for it. I mean, he does in, in the universe of this book, he never loses. It's true. It's true. So yeah. although it does he doesn't always seem that helpful. <laughs> like, I mean, he gave sound advice to the secretary just now, but it still ends up with her brother having his license suspended. Well, also, I love, too, that all the advice he gives is basically telling them who to call for legal help. Yeah. Like, Theodore Boone, kid phone book. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And I, but, I mean, I do take Kate's point that he would be a great student to have. Yes. But at the same time, like... I mean, you would have to really sacrifice a lot of ego to, like, put up with this ruse. Like, I don't know if I could do it day in and day out. I could. It's basically what I do at work every day now. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather um, have to play golf with Theo or have to be tutored by Theo? I would rather play golf with him because there are more chances to accidentally cause him bodily harm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no. I was actually... I'm a lady, yeah. Theo. I don't know how to play golf. I didn't mean to hit you with that club. That's how it works, isn't it? Oh, I didn't mean to hit you in the head with that ball. I didn't mean to push you down into that water trap. I'm just I'm just so I'm baby crazy. Mm-hmm. You know the the weird part of this is I was literally thinking the same thing. I was thinking <laughs> if you played golf with him, you would at least have a chance to get a golf club in your hand and whack him in the head with it. Yeah. Tutoring, very few options there. Yeah, yeah. You could do one of the like Dark Knight. You want to make me? You want me to make this pencil disappear? I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty much your only option there. That's it. Yeah, I th- I think we're pretty unanimous on golf as the better option here. Yeah. All right. Finally, would you rather read a grown-up John Grisham book or read the next Theodore Boone book? Again, if I can have a John Grisham book, one of his first five, I would I would obviously choose that. I'm kind of torn because I mostly read kids' books these days. Um, I have no problem with reading a grown-up John Grisham book, but I also am one of those people who really enjoys bad things. That's why we're here. so, like, yes, obviously, I am on a (laughs) podcast called The Worst Bestsellers. And I I would have to say that my, my dislike of this book never really reached anger. For me, personally, it was mostly just, like, continuously, this is so ludicrous, how could this be real? And with the revelation that the next one is about a kidnapping of his Mm -hmm. best friend that Mm -hmm. only he can solve, I kind of got to go with Theodore Boone book, too. Uh, Let me me again note, not only is it, not only is only he can solve it, I believe the premise is only he has noticed it. So people in their town don't even notice kids getting abducted. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I okay. I would vote. I think to read a, a grown-up John Grisham book because I've never read any, and I, I guess I may as well. But I would vote for Kate to read Theodore Boone book two and just like live tweet it to me. <laughs> I want the best of both worlds. Fair, fair, tough but fair. <laughs> All right. Um, well played, everyone. I think we're all the winners of that round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we're going to move on to some readers' advisory and suggest books for you to read um, instead of Theodore Boone or in addition to Theodore Boone. Um, so I have a couple. Uh, like I said, I mostly deal with middle grade, and I feel like that's actually appropriate here because this was a middle grade book. Um, so if you like 
mysteries and twisty things and bits of legal stuff that is maybe more exciting, if not hyper-realistic, uh, supposedly hyper-realistic the way this is, I would recommend The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you liked more of the kind of theoretical suspense that there never really was any suspense, but like that aspect of it, the murder trial and the, you know, the kid who didn't know if, if he should tell them that he was a witness because what would happen to him? Um, I would recommend that uh, Zach's Lie and Jack's Run by Roland Smith, which are about a boy and his family who are put in the witness protection program and the sort of drama and mystery and suspense that envelops his life as they deal with that and deal with the people who are looking for them. Nice. All right. I'll pick up um, a few adult suggestions because like Angie said, I think mainly it is adults who are reading this. Um, I definitely, um, I work in adult and teen. I've definitely had adults ask for this and then be sort of confused when I tell them it's in the children's section. So I would say adults, maybe don't read this. Maybe you like John Grisham. Maybe just stick with his adult books. Um, maybe read Gone Girl if you haven't already read that by Jillian Flynn. Like I said, the mystery that Theo solves is like very similar to Gone Girl. Mm -hmm. um, if you're interested in the undocumented worker aspect of it and you'd like it to be handled slightly more sensitively, maybe read any Barbara Kingsolver book. Um... Especially, like, The Bean Trees or um, Pigs in Heaven. Uh, I I have two. Um, and I would say, uh, for kids, I think that part of this, I think that you might have some readers that will be drawn to this as kid readers who are really looking for informational text, nonfiction text. Mm. Uh, and especially the, the 23 pages that we think are really boring might be actually interesting to them. So I would try to steer kids who are into it into books about great trials, Supreme Court cases. Uh, there's a series of books about what are your rights as a teenager. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would try to get them into that kind of reading because it could really also give them a way to kind of explore the legal system, which is, I think, John Grisham's goal, um, is that he wants kids to say, what is a trial, what is a bar, what is an objection, what is sustained. So I, I would say that for adults, the reader's advisory that I've done is, I know adults really like to read YA, and, and if you want to read a YA mystery written by a, an adult author that is awesome and not shitty, um, I love the Harlan Cohen, uh, Harlan Cohen has a He's an adult mystery writer, but he has a series. His most popular adult series is a, de uh, a detective named Myron Bolter. And he spun Myron's nephew, uh, Mickey, into mm -hmm. off to a series. And the first Mickey Bolter book is called Shelter. And I think they're great. And um, I also think if you have adults who are wanting to read YA, they might already know Harlan Coben's name. And that for them is an access point. I think that's what pulls them into these John Grisham books. Mm -hmm. So why not give them something that's good instead of bad? So the first the first Mickey Bolter book is called Shelter. There's the third one just came out and it's got a fat girl on the cover. So if you haven't if you haven't seen that, make your you should go make your night and go look at a YA book with an actual fat girl on the cover. Okay. Uh, and those are those are great. And they have like a, a Nazi prison guards and they're really great. So I've 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 gatewayed adults who are interested in the John Grisham books into the Mickey Bolter books instead. Nice. 
All right, next up, um, there's a section where we um, pair each book with a candy that we think complements the book in some way. Um, my candy pairing for Theodore Boone Kid Lawyer is the beer-flavored Jelly Bellies because <laughs> it's like taking something that's supposed to be for adults and trying to make it for kids and actually making it for no one. Uh, my candy pairing would be the mini Mr. Good bars that you get in the mixed bags of Hershey Minis because uh, much like this book, it is something that is not definitely not appealing to children, um, but given a colorful facade and mixed in with things that they like in an attempt to trick them into, <laughs> you know, going for it. Um, I so I guess mine would probably be wax lips. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Not actually a candy. Um, probably not safe for human consumption. Um, and gives you like a an awful death rictus like grin. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, now we're gonna talk about what we think the moral of the story is. What we think our children are getting out of this text. Um, my moral of this story would be that the justice system is broken, people regularly get away with murder, even when everyone knows they did it, and it's nothing like television, except when it's exactly like television, and also lawyer parents are the ticket to Coolsville. My moral for Theodore Boone Kid Lawyer is white men are the worst. Uh, my moral for Theodore, Kid, uh, Theodore Boone Kid Lawyer would be work hard uh, in life and you too can eventually become an undeserved bestseller uh, <laughs> that adults buy without understanding a single thing about children uh, and if you dream big enough kids that can be you you can live that dream also also uh, douchebags are so in <laughs> <laughs> so in <laughs> so hot right now um, speaking of douchebags, now I'm gonna, um, now we're gonna have Duarte's corner, and I'm gonna briefly turn this over to my cat, Duarte. He's very opinionated, and here's what he thinks about Theodore Boone, Kid Lawyer. Alright, thank you, Duarte, that was very informative. He is always, he just gets right yeah. Of the matter, yeah. I think I think he should at least be reviewing for the New York Times. I, at least, you know, um, they offered him a reviewer position, and he turned it down because he's pretty lazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That that makes sense with who the people they've hired instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like Dorothy's lazy, but he's not so lazy that he compares everything to John Green. Yeah. So. Good point. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. I heard adulthood is over. So. Yeah. <laughs> Adulthood is over. Cathood yeah. is in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, now that Duarte's had his corner, um, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Uh, don't buy this book. <laughs> That's a uh, really solid point. You know, this is what happens when people write books out of spite. <laughs> Or people hire people to write books for them out of spite. When people hire people to write children's books for them out of spite and the people that they hire have never read a children's book before or met an actual yeah. child. Mm -hmm. Talk to a human child, yeah. Yeah. Um, don't don't try to mess with J.K. Rowling. It just ends up terribly for everyone, except for J.K. Rowling because she's flawless. It's true. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to Worst Bestsellers. Um, you can visit us online at worstbestsellers.com and email us at worstbestsellers at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Renata Snacks. And you can follow me on Twitter at at 14 across. And uh, thank you guys for having me so much. I had a great time, even though I had to read this book. Uh, and I really appreciate it. I love this series. And I can't wait to see everything you do with it. Um, so if you want to follow me, the humble guest star on Twitter, I'm at, um, I'm at Miss Kubelik um, from the Billy Wilder film, The Apartment. I always wondered where that was from. And, the, um, t- the greatest film of all time. And uh, you should also read Angie's blog, fatgirlreading.com. It's super great. Um, we'll have a, we'll have a link to it on our website if you've already forgot what I said. Join us next time when we're going to read the secret. I know you're going to join us because I've put it on my vision board. <laughs> so you know, I'm I'm really looking forward to sharing my new knowledge with you. <laughs> it's going to be super great. So um, we'll see you then. Except not really because I'm not the NSA. So we'll <laughs> we'll imagine you listening then. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.